Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we dissect every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether we would keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. Why are we doing this show, Brian? Uh, because we love movies. We're just two guys who love <laughs> movies. And because the Oscars are the definitive source they are. of what is a good movie and what's trash, right? I love... Um, that was well, a trick question. <laughs> whether they get it right or not, that is the question, right? And every time... Um, I mean, it's always a big debate every year. And especially... If you look back in time, I think that's what's kind of interesting because some movies age well and some don't, and uh, but they still carry that weight of Best Picture nominee. So first and foremost, let yeah. me ask you: Would you consider yourself an Oscar believer or an Oscar skeptic? Are you a truther? Ooh, uh, that is a good question. When I was not, that was not on the script. It, it was not. Do you think uh, <laughs> that the the movies that are nominated and win are generally the most deserving of the year? Um, I think that they. In, in in the last five or so years, once they expanded the format, I think that you have a very good chance that you got the best picture in there. Yeah. Uh, when it was now we're five, in 10 yeah. instead of five as of 2009. When it was five um, for so many years, including up to 1998 or up till 2000, what was it? 2009, Nine. it changed. Mm -hmm. Up until then, I think that I have, we've seen some, some, some misses, um, so I don't know if all, I, I don't think they usually get all five. These are the best five movies. And now they're kind of letting in more interesting, different the kinds of movies. They're letting in the riffraff. <laughs> well, they're letting in, uh, <laughs> I, I would say, a wider variety of yeah. types of movies. Although you, recently. you do see some more as we've, 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 we've keep talking about them as popcorn movies or, you know, lowbrow versus highbrow. You do see a lot of these lower brow, so to speak, and um, popcorn movies sneak into the uh even 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 the top five well now they're changing that category right they're adding yeah. a uh, best popular best, film best lowbrow movie of the year <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh you know they, they haven't completely advanced yeah. or evolved to uh where we want them to be but i think that there's no denying that the oscars are important they you are know, culturally at least because people see these movies and just so we're clear i think i'd call myself a skeptic yeah i, I mean generally speaking i guess i'll say i, I lean more toward a, a believer so we i could, think you know why part of the reason why is that i am often swayed by seeing critic views mm. i i find myself like if roger ebert loves a movie i'm like yeah i think i love that too <laughs> i mean not always but sometimes i find myself like looking for confirmation from people yeah and if i if i disagree with roger ebert then i'll go read peter travers and, and you hope. find one yeah. that aligns with your view <laughs> no, and that's then, my favorite critic now yeah i don't um, <laughs> think anybody's really immune to yeah that, i know right? it's true but so, i mean that's that kind of that, that's the point right is yeah no one's really immune to that so if there's a big cultural group that's saying these movies are the best of the right. year then it influences people especially if they're um you know a, a little more of a casual viewer so my goal with this podcast is that someday someone will catch me on the street and say i love that movie because best picture this agreed that it was great because brian of best picture <laughs> this gave it the, the gold star well let me just tell you yeah. it's a fact that the Oscars are important because studios on average, this is from Business Insider, I got this from an article last year, 
on average, they spend an extra $10 million just to run a marketing campaign for the Oscars. Yeah. And over the past four years... For your consideration. Yeah, Best Picture winners have generated an additional $19 million at the box office after they've won. Well, I'm, I'm always curious. In fact, I have made a point of going out to find Best Picture nominees throughout these years. And I've watched several that I'd never heard of, but only did because it was Best Picture nominee um, going back years and years. Uh, so I feel like ultimately, you know, you have so much time. You only have so much time in life. So what are you going to spend your time watching and reading? Um, Harold Bloom, the critic, uh, he makes a case for having a canon of great novels and that we should, you don't have time to reread, you know, a, a lesser novel, but you do maybe, you should make time to reread the great novels. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of movies too. I mean, we're just overloaded, overwhelmed with Netflix ad nauseum. Um, how do you decide what to watch? For, well, you for scroll. Me, you scroll for hours. You keep scrolling. And then after you spend two your hours. wife gets tired of scrolling, you pick her movie. <laughs> or we used to wander around Blockbuster for two hours. Oh, the good and old look days. And look at, read the back. And I would, even then, even when I was a teenager, I would like, was this nominated? Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't, then maybe I should watch something that's nominated. And so I've always really liked these lists. And there wasn't an internet back then, right? Mm -hmm. So you couldn't really easily go online, figure out, you yeah. know, what movies are getting good reviews, which ones are getting buzz. You just had to go buy cover art and whatever they put on the back of the VHS box. Two thumbs up means means something. It does. It does. Siskel and Ebert. You know? So I mentioned that um, the Oscars that win make a bunch more money. And I, I found that the King's Speech is maybe the, the best example yeah, of that. Wow. So it was initially <laughs> projected to gross $30 million dollars small amount mm -hmm. of money, right? But after its nomination and its victory, it went on to make more than 400 the million. The King's Speech one made 400 million? 400 oh million. So I'd like to thank the uh, Academy. That's what they has said. Has a little bit of a, uh, a sway. Yeah, so um, I've got a bunch more tidbits like that, but I'm going to save them for trivia. Okay. Why don't yeah. you give us a breakdown of what the show's going to yeah. look like? I have, a, I have a bunch of trivia too, which I, I love. It's funny because sometimes those little weird tidbits are what, you know, what, what I think people might take away from this, listening to this podcast sometimes. So we're going to do a format. Um, every episode, we will um, talk about whether we would keep it or kick it. We'll pick one movie. We'll yeah. watch one movie per week right. of the five nominees for now, and then 10 nominees after 2009. Yeah. And so, then we'll decide whether to keep it or kick it. So to start off, I mean, we're, we're, we're doing this about every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century. We decided to do a pilot series. So we're actually cheating and doing 1999 because big movie year, um, it's famous for, I, I didn't even know this exactly until you pointed this out, but I'm glad that we went back to 1999. Full disclosure, we're recording this intro episode <laughs> after we finished the 1999. Wow, you're breaking the fourth wall I know, here. whatever, you're whatever. Peek behind the curtain. In case this I is slip Hollywood, up. Brian. <laughs> In case I slip up or you slip up, then we'll, we'll, we won't try to hide anything. Yeah. So we're, we're doing, we've done the 1999 movies, working out a few kinks. I mean, yeah, so, you know, we're, 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 we we tried a few different things with format and with uh, intros, but I think that they're I think they turned out well, and they have essentially the same format. We pick one movie um, that was nominated. We discuss whether we would keep it or kick it. We play a trailer typically um, from from that year when it came out, and then we do our Farley Awards, which is named after the immortal. Chris Farley from the SNL skit where he's doing his horrible talk show <laughs> and he's asking people, uh, do you remember when this, and then 
he says, and he says that was awesome. That was awesome. And, and so that, these are the awesome. These moments. are the awesomeness moments for best directing, writing, and acting for each of the movies individually. And then we each take a few, uh, you know, a minute or two to give a golden take. Even better than it's a hot not a, take. It's not a hot take. This is no, golden. This I mean, is Oscar level take. A, a hot take is kind of lowbrow. <laughs> it is. This is oh, <laughs> these this are is very intellectual high, high very highbrow. So we do a golden take. We fight about it a little bit. We come to fisticuffs, and then we finish with trivia, uh, which are scoured from different internet sources, including IMDb, Wikipedia, and other articles that we might have read or interviews. All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then we tease a little bit the next movie we're going to watch, and we're done. So I would imagine that some people might um, have never seen the movie we are discussing. Mm Mm-hmm. However, I think that if you're interested in movie history or you just love what, talking about movies and people have been coming out of the woodwork as we've been doing the show, like saying, hey, I love movies too. And it's been really fun and it shows what a community there is about movie lovers. Oh, yeah. And how that's much, why we watch them, right? Yeah. Um, you talk about them. It's almost more fun than watching it in some ways. Mm-hmm. How many comedies have you seen where the joke and you talk, you, you keep making the joke with your friends for years and years. Yeah. It's way better than the movie was, you know, the yeah. joke gets funnier. Life of its own. Yeah. So anyway, if you haven't seen the movie, you might very well still have fun talking about the movie with us, listening to it. And it might inspire you to go watch it. Or as my sister did, I'm listening to one of these. She felt like, you know, I don't really feel like I want to go watch that movie, but it was still fun to hear the discussion. And we're talking about big actors. We're talking about the greatest art form there is. So I still think it would be fun. So this episode is a little bit different though, right? Because we're not jumping into 99 just yet. Today, we are going to make top five lists of Oscar history. With rules. With rules. Restrictions. So our top five is constructed not of just any movie of of movie history. It's only from the titles nominated for best picture from the first ceremony in 1929 up to 1998. So I could not include the burbs. <laughs> Even if I wanted to, I mean, because it wasn't Tom nominated Hanks for best picture, show up enough. I think <laughs> throughout this, yeah, let's this let's, is podcast. <laughs> let's leave the burbs, you know, on the sidelines for now. <laughs> All right, so we stopped in 1998 because obviously our 99 season, we're doing a whole pilot on it. So yep. let's leave that. So do you want to just jump in here? Yes, we also though, after doing five movies of 1999's best picture nominees, then we do one wrap up episode of 99. Where we take an opportunity to give the Oscars a black guy a little bit, tell them what they got wrong, maybe bring in a few non-Best Picture nominees to throw into the mix and re-rank them yeah. ourselves. So That's we'll do a good that. Point. At the end of each miniseries. Yeah, every sixth episode, essentially. Um, we'll recap the year that was, we'll make our own top fives, yeah. and just kind of uh, you know talk about, why, talk about the movies of the year. Why do these movies matter? What made them great? And yes. Are they really as great as some people think? So yeah, I'm excited. I want to hear your top five. I've been dying to hear your top five. I love these lists. It sounds stupid, but at the same time, the lists really do matter because again, how do I decide what to watch? If you have a best number one best picture, I may want to rewatch it. I don't care how many times I've seen it again, just to see like, wow, Mike thought this was number one of all time. And I have to say though. Yeah, go ahead. Is this... Are these five uh-huh. what you consider the greatest movies of all time? Are they your favorites? Or, and this is, I think, what we agreed on, that some of it would be, there's a factor in here of what, um, how does it reflect your taste? Yep. Because I think if people are going to listen and they hear like, oh, you know, Brian put the burbs as number one through five, this guy's a joke, I don't want to listen to it anymore. 
or Mike only chose Woody <laughs> Allen movies, uh, maybe we should find a different podcast. But yeah. there is a little bit of, um, in my top five, I tried to make it a little more diverse than just purely what I thought were the greatest of, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of personal taste involved. So I don't know if you did took the same approach. I think that it's all personal taste. Yeah. Um, and what's really the difference? Yeah. I, I, was, I was having this argument with my teenage son. Um, I, by the way, I'm a newspaper editor and... Mike is a communications, I'm a communications guru guy at a university. Anyway, I don't know how, <laughs> we don't want to get too personal. Nah. But he, I was saying like, what's the difference between what you think is the best movie and what you think, what's your favorite movie? What would you say to that? I think the, the difference is us being honest or us wanting to feel smart. <laughs> That's what I think the difference is. Because I, I think that a movie can be important for what it does to the form. It, yes. How it changes technically, what... Yeah. Um, what audiences expect from movies because of what that one made them feel or what they, what it made them expect. But if we're just talking about bests and I have to put Citizen Kane on this list because <laughs> it's on every other list, I'm not being honest uh, with myself. I love Citizen Kane. I'm sure you do. I love and I'm not Citizen saying Citizen Kane, Kane isn't, so isn't great, but I'm going to give you a spoiler. It's not going to show up on my it's top five. It's actually not on my top five either. So that kind of shows you we're a little bit on the same page. Yeah. I do think that Citizen Kane belongs in my top five but i did not put it in there and it's because i think that my taste is represented elsewhere um but i think we learn about people from learning what makes them happy what they like we're, yeah. we're not here to write essays about yeah. why a movie is 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 great or important we're talking about our personal experience with a movie and i think that there's more truth in that and people could hopefully get more out of it i think that ultimately what i what makes a movie really um one of my favorites and and therefore what I think is one of the best is that it communicates. Um, I, I feel something, you know, I have been known to shed a tear in a movie. Mike is hard. I'm too, of, I'm too tough. He has a heart of stone. Yeah. So he never feels anything in movies mm. or something. It's sad, but, but, um, one but, day. but to me, if I, if I feel very deeply during a movie to the point where I forget that I was watching it for a podcast, that's a great sign for me. So oh, yeah, yeah. I can already start to read the minds of our podcast listeners and they're thinking, get on with it. What are your top five? <laughs> so without further ado. You want to go first, Brian? Yes. Also, I will say that on this show, um, a lot of these movies that we're going to watch are not exactly family friendly. I'm an extremely family friendly guy. And I'm not. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind um, of a delinquent. But I watch all these movies edited except for the ones that are already basically clean. Clearplay and VidAngel are my friends. Yep, and I watch it wherever I can find it. And I watch on my phone, middle of the night, whenever. <laughs> and, and I absolutely Mike has do a special not, theater in I house. never do that. <laughs> and I hate that he watches movies on a cell phone <laughs> and he will be mocked throughout this podcast because of it. But let's get on with it, Brian. Your top five. Uh, my top five. Um, do... Let's go like, I'll do my number five and work up and say a little bit about it. Yep. Good. That sounds good. Um, also, Mark Gilliland is our producer with Flagwood Broadcasting, WNZF News Radio. I'm not entirely sure if he has a clip of a movie that I have here. I thought I sent it, but if not, then we'll just move on without it. That's okay. My number five of all time is Annie Hall. All right. Okay. You know Annie Hall. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Annie Hall, Woody Allen. Um, this is a movie I probably laughed out loud more than any movie I've ever seen. It was rated as the number one um, funniest screenplay of all time by the Writers Guild of America. That's that's impactful to me. 
I mean, a lot of times we don't really put comedies as like being great. Yeah. I think this is truly a great movie. Um, it's one of the first that I ever saw that was really directed to adults. Um, there's uh, um, it won Best Picture. This is 1977 Oscars. It won Best Picture. It won Best Director. for. It won Best Original Screenplay. It won Best Actress. So I think that um, I also, one thing that really sets it apart is the ending and the way that it plays with reality. And, you know, he's making a movie, he's making a play about his own life, which is totally based on his own life. And the character is basically Woody Allen. Um so, and he kind of gives us that ending that he knows yeah. that we want. Like, what do you want? It's my it's my last it's my first play. But in the play, so the actual yeah. movie doesn't end. <laughs> the, the The movie itself I, ends a little yes. bit sadder, but more real. There have been times when I've been driving down the road thinking about this movie, and I will laugh out loud because <laughs> there's a certain line in it. So anyway, that's my number five. <laughs> Great. So am I just doing all my five, and then you do yours? Let's do that. Yeah, let's let's okay. keep rolling. Number four, All the President's Men. I knew it would be on this list. It, it deserves to be on everyone's list, Mike. I, if it's not on yours, then I'm going to have a problem with this. <laughs> it was nominated for eight Oscars in 1976. It won four, including William Goldman for Best Adapted Screenplay. It's, of course, about the 1972 Watergate cover-up. One thing that's really interesting about this one, first of all, uh, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, tremendous performances. It popularized the phrase, follow the money, which was not in the book hmm. that it was based on. It came from that movie? It came from, it, it was popularized by it. But oh, I think okay. essentially okay. that's why it's famous now. All right. You hear politicians today saying, follow the money. It's oh, because yeah. of this movie. Talk about a cultural impact and the, the idea that, you know, the freedom of the press can go and make an impact. And of course, since I'm a newspaper person, that also matters to me. Any that, movie about a journalist makes you feel good. It's going about number your, one. About yourself. It's going number one. Well, it's going number four. <laughs> um, Robert Redford was, you know, all about this story. I also think that it's interesting because I think there's some categories of, of movies. Annie Hall is very much an insulated movie. It's about a dude's life. Mm -hmm. Then there's movies that are reaching out to the world. Yep. All the President's Men clearly is doing that. Not only, I mean, the movie came out four years after Watergate happened. It, it, it's just amazing. Like, it's, it's basically like a documentary in film form in, 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 in a movie, mm -hmm. um, fictionalized to some degree. But it's trying to tell a true story of something that people lived like just years earlier. And that's happened many times, you know, since then. I remember like Zero Dark Thirty is a yep. good example yep, of it. Yep. But I think that's shows some of the power that, that a movie can have. Which so, type of movie would you say that you're apt to like more? Honestly, the, the more personal or the more societal? That's a, I think that's a great question. And I would say probably more the personal, less societal. Mm -hmm. What about you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm way on the, on the personal it's side. The societal movies don't really yeah. get me too excited for as a general rule. Yeah. I think generally that's true too. But this one was, you know, it does it all. All right. Come on. Number three. All the President's Men. You got to put that on your list. We'll I have a feeling that after I'm done convincing you of my list, you're going to basically throw yours away and just I'll use just mine. say ditto. That'll be, my, <laughs> that'll be my whole section. Shave off a few minutes from this <laughs> podcast episode. Yeah. Number three of all time, Amadeus 1984. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting pick. This is not on a lot of lists. It was number 53 on the AFI's Top 100 in 1997 when it first came out. And guess where it was in 2010 when it when it came? Did it back get out? knocked off? It got knocked off completely. Wow! From 53 down to negative. Ooh. 
fall from grace. Seriously. I don't know why that happens. That's a very fascinating question that I don't think we'll ever find a definitive answer for because it's probably different for every movie. But why does one movie increase in stature over time and why does one fall in stature over time? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer. Again, it's probably different for every one. But Amadeus, it's... it's <sighs> <laughs> so you, you, some, <laughs> like, you like the laugh that he I does. don't like the laugh you don't like the, but that's so, the whole movie <laughs> I, it's not the whole movie that's the only reason that I, that's not great about it the whole movie so this is about Salieri the um, played by F. Murray Abraham he's it's a frame story which I usually don't like that much either but Salieri as the as an older man you know he like he's committing suicide in the first scene because he thinks he killed Mozart. And then the whole movie is flashbacks, intermittent, you know, backed with him talking to a priest and confessing about how he, his relationship with Mozart and his jealousy of his um, brilliance. Yeah. And that, that Mozart was a gift from God mm-hmm. and Salieri had this incredible ambition. And Salieri was very, he very was great. good. He was great. Too. But there's he was a, a difference between being great and brilliant, and, right? And that's a, a gap that you can't bridge you with can't. practice. You and either have it or you don't. I think that tension is something that really speaks to me because, you know, I always, you know, wish that I could be like, you know, great writer or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's just it, it, most mortals, that's what you do. You know, you're, you're the best you do is Salieri. Um, this is going to be a great podcast, though. It's going to it's oh, going to yeah. it's going to go up gonna, too brilliant. Uh, most podcasts are going to explode by the time this is over. <laughs> um, so, any anyway, F. F. Murray Abraham won Best Actor. Tom Hulse was also nominated. It hasn't happened very many times in movie history where mm. two actors from the same movie got nominated for the lead acting role. Um, I have some other pretty good uh, trivia for this, but I'll save some of it for the end. Um, eight Oscars, though, actor, director. Costume design, best picture, adapted screenplay, some other stuff. But it, it's lavish, right? I oh, mean, yeah. it's it's a period piece, which I know you love. Sometimes. Period pieces. Yeah. You can't get a you, you can't have a better movie unless it's got a great like eighteenth century dress. Yeah. Right? And it needs big, <laughs> colorful costumes. The bigger the dress, the more I like it. Number two movie of all time. Star- of best picture nominees. Of Best Picture nominees, yeah. yes, that is that is key because especially in this one, I have my number two as Star Wars. Yeah, it, I hope I, this is on your list. Mike. I thought a lot. about Do you like Star Wars? Wars? I, I do. don't even know this about I you. I do. I'm a, I'm a Star Wars fan. Okay, I love Star Wars. Part of this, all these movies that I've said so far, except for Annie Hall, I saw when I was a teenager first, mm-hmm. and I think that that's probably part of what makes you know what they start to resonate with you more probably because. You grew up with it. Yeah. So Star Wars, of course, it's on repeat in my house. I got every line memorized. You know, every single thing about it is just fascinating and, and lovely to me and feels like home. Um, you you know that you're watching something great, though, not just familiar, but when, when it starts out with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you see this incredible tension and ambition that George Lucas had from the very first line. A long time ago in a galaxy far away. This is supposed to be ancient history, mm-hmm. but yet it's futuristic. Um, and that kind of, um, it, it's not just, he, he has mythical ambitions. He wanted to write mythology. Yeah. And, and you can tell that the story yeah. starts kind of at the end of another story that we don't right. see. And then characters are introduced without giving Episode us the whole- Episode four? I yeah. mean, what, what is that all Darth about? Darth Vader shows up in this suit. You, yeah. You're never really told why. When I watched that this movie 
recently. I hadn't seen it in kind of a long time. And what I noticed most is how small it is. It's told on a huge scale, but the story itself is is not sprawling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just, you know, Luke is... It's a very typical hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole point. You know, George Lucas d- drew on a lot of archetypes. Joseph Campbell's here with a thousand faces. That connection's been made by many others. The Force, you know, as this religion kind of thing. Like, what movie has so successfully created a world that resonates for generations where you could go to the farthest reaches of the earth and everybody knows Star Wars. Yep. Talk about the magic of movies being fulfilled in one franchise. I happen to think Empire Strikes Back is superior movie, but because this was best picture, I put it as number two all time. But let me ask you the important yeah. question. Um, the prequels, What do you? how do you feel? They're all horrible. Oh, see, that's a problem. Episode what? three, Revenge of the Sith. No. I'm, a, I'm a big apologist. I for have that not movie. seen episode three in a long time. It's the peak of melodrama. But I actually think seven, eight, nine are quite good, and I, some people don't like those as much. But I like seven, eight, nine too. That, that's the most recent. That's the most series. recent three. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, Darth Vader, Han Solo, Princess Leia, the droids, Luke Skywalker. They're all not just characters. They have all become worldwide brands <laughs> in and of themselves, yeah. which is incredible. Uh, Ten billion dollars that this franchise has made, and the music. If if the movies are great because they gather all the art forms in one—visuals, acting, writing, music—the music of this movie is also almost just as. I mean, it's played by you know high school bands every Friday night. Yeah, you, know? you can't imagine the movie you without can't. the music, and and uh, it it's it just has everything to it. Now, is it high art or low art? I would say generally speaking, it's more low art, but it has this, it has this mythical ambition at the same time, the psychological underpinning that I think makes it like a, a perfect blend. But isn't it funny? We're kind of talking about period dramas before and they get- <laughs> This is also a period drama. Long time ago. Yes. Costumes. But the difference is, is <laughs> the period dramas that get respect have women in big poofy dresses and men wearing, you know, whatever, a yeah. different period. It's more realistic, I guess. Yeah. This, the costumes are no less ridiculous. They're just different. <laughs> We're not as used to them. We haven't seen them in a history book. Nothing about Star Wars is ridiculous in my book. All right. Number one Good movie pick. of all time. Good you pick. probably can guess this one because it's so great that I actually changed the wallpaper in my phone. <laughs> That's how important this movie is. Is this the one that you keep at your bedside? It is. All right. I go to sleep with headphones nearby, just in case I can't fall asleep and I want to put the audio track on this. It's Casablanca, 1941, best picture. This movie is so great. First of all, also period movie, 1940. It came out in 41 and it's about Nazis. Mm -hmm. So you think about immediacy. It's even more so than than, um, all the president's men. It's hard to keep that in mind because we're watching it, you know, 70, 80 years later, whatever it is. But because it happened there, um, there's certain resonance to the patriotism. You know, it happens in, you know, it's set in, in uh, Africa, cafe called Rick's, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, you know. Um, but there's these patriotic swells of the anthems, like in this one dueling scene. Um, every line almost is just quotable and classic. And I think that it has it has become almost a symbol to me as this is the golden age of movies. And, you know, it, movies are our business. They're formulaic. And yet 
they can totally transport you. And this one was in the age where it was like on sound stages. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's Height down an alley. Picture, yeah, totally. When it's done right, it could it could do that. It was just one of like a bunch of ordinary movies that was made. I think that's what one of the critics said. But um, it does so much more than that. And I think that it also, to me, kind of symbolizes a like these these actors in these roles become kind of immortalized. Yeah. Um, you know, human beings are looking for immortality in the fountain of youth, but we don't we don't we don't look for the fountain of youth now. Uh, we watch Casablanca. Hmm. Well, no one's going to fault you for that pick. No. Although, interestingly enough, AFI in 98 or 97 put Casablanca 2 okay. behind Citizen Kane. Godfather 3 in 2007. Godfather Part 3. No. That's number 3? No. Oh, Godfather Part 1. Oh, okay. That's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow, that, that's an interesting flip. Casablanca was number two in the AFI and Godfather was number three. Okay. And then 10 years later, they switched. So Godfather was number two and Casablanca was number three. Again, Mm. why, how do you account for that? It would be interesting to just have hours and hours to discuss Casablanca versus the Godfather. Now, what movies are glaringly, obviously missing from my list? You're about to tell me with your top five (laughs) because there are... I mean, Citizen Kane, The Godfather. This is There's only so five. many that are There's not. There's only yeah. so many we can fit. And I want to a little bit say, like, this is some of my taste. So anyway. Yeah. And it's the same thing with me as my five. Like <laughs> I said before, I'm trying to get a snapshot of sort of yeah. everything that I think is important about the movies. So number five, I'm planting my flag, The Exorcist. The Exorcist. I'm putting, I labored over this I one. Wondered I went about, back and forth. I wondered about The Silence of the Lambs quite a bit for mine too. I mean, uh-huh. I'm a big fan of that, but... Um, so I'm a horror guy. Okay, yeah. You know that I love horror. I do. And one of the things that kind of annoys me about the Oscars, why I said that I'm a skeptic, <laughs> is because it sort of seems like they hate genre, yeah. especially horror movies. So only six horrors have ever been nominated for Best Picture. Since 1929, only six. And only one, you mentioned Silence of the Lambs, which to me is kind in of 91, debatable. 92. Something like that. Kind of debatable as a horror movie. I, I'm going to grandfather it in because everyone calls it that and any attention we can get to horror, I'm, I'm game. But um, kind of a crime drama more than a horror yeah. movie, but whatever, that's fine. The other uh, five that have been nominated, The Exorcist, Jaws, The Sixth Sense, which we'll do in our 99 pilot season. Next Black episode. Swan. Yeah, next episode. Black <laughs> Swan in 2010 and Get Out in 2016. I mean, sorry, 2017. I love Get Out. So what I love most about The Exorcist Mm -hmm. is how when a lot of people think of horror movies as just kind of, um, you know, a machine to get us from scare to scare. But this one, I don't think it works like that at all. So it's kind of more about the helplessness that these characters feel, whether it's Reagan in her possession or her mom, especially watching this all help happen and being helpless to do anything about it. But then also the priest who we see him spend time with his mother a few times in the movie and you kind of get the sense that he's guilt ridden because she's aging and alone. So it's all of these people who are kind of powerless to help the people that they love. And I realized after last time watching it, that if you switch out devil possession in this movie for mental illness, the movie's like exactly the same, mm. like nothing changes. It's still characters who are helpless to helpless in watching somebody that they love suffer and there yeah there's just a whole lot a whole lot that i love about it exorcist was which was what year uh i should have gotten that oh 73 73 1973 another horror movie that would have been on my top five was the shining 
and it wasn't nominated, so I couldn't ne- include it. Never got a nomination. But I, to me, that would be in my top five. The a Clockwork Orange was nominated. I have not seen a Clockwork Orange. It's yeah, I I love a Clockwork Orange also, but it's just Stanley Kubrick around the same time. You know, a, a lot of the same style. I mean, they're very very mm-hmm. different movies, but I just think it's maybe a little interesting that. Clockwork Orange got the nomination, but The Shining, which has somebody who holds an axe and Jack chases Nicholson. people with an axe, it's uh, it's a little yeah. much to include on the best picture list. <laughs> so number four, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. That's I have not seen Billy Wilder's The Apartment still. You've got to see I it. I haven't seen The Exorcist either. So I saw it for the first time <laughs> in uh, college. There was this movie club that used to hold these screenings that like seven people would go to. And I, I was one of them. I can picture you as one of those <laughs> nerds in the dark. Yeah. And I didn't really talk to anybody. I just kind of like slunk in the back and sat there. But The Apartment is the screening that I remember the most because I just remember leaving and kind of feeling like cinema opened up as, as corny as that might sound because mm-hmm. the movie is a comedy, but it's about suicide and it's about a power and, and sort of people using people and it's super charming, but it's also about these sleazy bosses who are using Jack Lemon's apartment as kind of a by the hour motel to bring their mistresses. And he knows this and he lets them because he's trying to get ahead at work. And I just didn't know that older movies could do that. And this one's not <laughs> even that old, you know, it's 1960, right. uh, shot in black and white. But I just left the theater thinking like, oh, okay. So what I had in my head as, you know, mm-hmm. an old movie was this template that that just isn't realistic. And it depends on who's making the movie and who's writing it. You, you can do so many more things. Um, it's funny, it's sad, it's sweet, and it's dark. And it's one of the sort of most tonally complicated movies that I'd ever seen then, but still now, which is just sort of a testament to the writing. We've talked about this, um, or we will. <laughs> we will talk about this. That, again, the kind of tension between trying to be funny and serious in the same movie. Yeah, it's really hard to do. something I think we should keep analyzing throughout because mm-hmm. when movies pull it off, it's it's really incredible. And when they don't, it really ruins things sometimes for me. So, And in a movie like this, they kind of, the humor is there to, to make you lower your guard so that you could really feel something, which I, I think for me is what I love most about movies. I, I, I want to be manipulated without knowing I'm being manipulated. <laughs> right. if, if you're aware that you're being manipulated, you resent it and then the movie's no fun. But I just think whenever I see a movie about like relationships or people trying to figure out like how to be people, I sort of always subconsciously compare it to the apartment. Mm. So that's my number four. My number three, from one movie about suicide to another, It's a Wonderful Life. I love What's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, so of all the movies it's on this list. a good choice, a great choice. This is the one that I've seen the most because- really? Because of Christmas. We call it a Christmas movie. I'm not sure that <laughs> that is- It's more of a suicide movie? It's more of a suicide movie. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel good right around Christmas time. Um, but I just think most movies are lucky to have like one perfect moment, you know, where just the right words are said by just the right actors and like there's a chemistry there that we call movie magic mm-hmm. it's a wonderful life has full sequences like that um mark do you have the clip uh, let's listen to one of them so okay. I, just to set it up um george bailey and mary they're they're walking home from the dance and they pass by an abandoned house and they kind of say if you're able to throw a rock and break one of these windows on the house you'll get your wish mary breaks a window he asks her what she wished and she kind of slyly walks away and starts singing buffalo gals can't you come out tonight can't you come out tonight can't you come out tonight buffalo gals can't you come out tonight 
by the light of the moon. What do you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, no. tell me. If I told you, it might not come through. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Barry. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. So good. Great stuff. So weird. And yeah. so good. The moonbeams will shoot out from the ends of your hair and your fingers. Mm-hmm. I love it. So I wanted to actually, my favorite scene, I wanted to play the one where they share the phone receiver when they're talking to their friend Sam, who's That's kind of out in the world too. doing all the things that George wanted to do. And he kind of resents it in a way. And, and the second that he gets close enough to Mary to, to share that receiver, he knows he's never leaving Bedford mm-hmm. Falls, like in that moment. Um, but it's just not a very dialogue heavy scene. So I thought this one was was close to as good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I don't need to say much more about It's a Wonderful I love Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Everyone's seen it. It's yep. an epic. It's amazing. Number two, I'm going to go with your, what, number five pick of Annie, Annie Hall? Hall? Annie Hall is my number really? two. I'm yep. so happy to hear that. Annie Mike. Hall is my number two. I love Woody Allen's catalog. Yeah. I've seen all of 50 plus. Everyone. Of, everyone except for Rainy Day in New York, the mm. newest one. Uh, I've seen all the rest. I took a class on him in college. Really? <laughs> what I love. And um, Annie Hall is your number one of Woody Allen? Or is that is it not? Or is it only because this was a nominee? Maybe because this is a nominee. Crimes and Misdemeanors might be my favorite, mm-hmm. but there are, I, I love Purple Rose of Cairo also. Um, there's so much about him, about his stuff that I love. But I, I think that his career shift, sort of the way that his, that his style changed is one of the things I love the most you know early on he's making these wacky comedies mm-hmm. and then they kind of start incorporating these philosophical themes like with sleeper and and love and death but and then after Annie Hall actually he makes interiors which is like an Ingmar Bergman-esque mm-hmm. movie and there's not a single joke in the whole movie uh but <laughs> very Annie, versatile yeah uh, Annie Hall is the sweet spot though yeah you mentioned that it's kind of got some surreal fantasy elements going on I think that people might forget that that it's a really experimental. It's very movie. inventive. I, when I love in the, when they're in the theater um, and uh, they're arguing with the guy in line about like this the director. I forget which director. Mm. Fellini. No. Anyway, and he's like, and and then the director walks on yeah. the onto the set, and they're like, see don't you wish life were really like yeah, this? Yeah, he pulls him out to prove the guy wrong. Who's, yeah. Who's talking yeah. really loudly and anyway, you know, Annie Hall is spouting his opinions. brilliance. But yeah, there's direct address in the opening where Woody Allen says, there's an old joke and, you know, goes on that thing. I love the joke. Uh, this, there's special <laughs> effects. Him and Diane Keaton are in bed and he feels like she's not present and then her body sort of leaves, mm-hmm. you know, and says, hey, can you give me a, my sketchbook so I can draw while you guys are doing that? Um, he uses su- subtitles in one scene to kind of contrast what... Alvi and Annie are saying compared to what they're thinking. Yep, yep. It's all good stuff. I forgot but about that. Those flourishes are all there to serve character, right? They're not just because he's trying to throw everything at the wall. And I think, I think what I love about that is this is a guy who came from stand up. It would have been easy for him to keep making comedies. This movie is a comedy. It's really funny, but it's it's all visual, right? There's so much cinema. Um, king of the rom coms. King of the rom coms. Absolutely, I'm saying it. And number one, it's the first movie I ever loved, Brian. Going Godfather. It's hard to argue. You can't you can't argue with the Godfather. <laughs> so I'm not gonna say that much about it. Yeah. Except for this is kind of a cheat because I'm gonna in my mind say this is Godfather part one and two, because I wasn't about That's to totally use. Totally a cheat. 
it's a cheat, but I'm fine with it. Not Godfather Part 3. <laughs> Maybe it should have been Godfather Part 3. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the cinematography is really dark and shadowy, and I love that. Al Pacino is like a different person in this movie than he is later on in his career, which yeah. is great because he's equally awesome. I was thinking about this, uh, you know, with the whole idea of Ingmar, or, I mean, Ingrid Bergman being like this immortalized you know we can be as old as we want but she stays the same yeah i feel that way with with al pacino in this movie you know just that that youth you know uh his 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 role in this movie is just it's stupendous it's great it's great and how coppola sort of indicts organized crime but also sort of has a nostalgia for like the myth of it like kind of warm the whole the whole yeah, tone of the, uh, the it's the, kind the of film. it sort of embraces that idea that at, at some time um this was civilized you know we did it the right way which <laughs> is i don't think true but at the same time it kind of plays into um you know why italian immigrants went that way at a certain point you know to kind of make a community and um you know, be represented. And there's just a ton there. It's the Godfather. I don't want to belabor the point. That's my top five. Do you want to hear some of my honorable mentions? <laughs> What's your honorable mentions? Number one was Goodfellas, but I couldn't in good conscience I, I knew have you were two gonna mafia do that. movies. I knew you were going to do Godfather on your top five and list good Goodfellas. You as did. All right. I knew it. Yeah. You, you know me so well. <laughs> uh, some of my other ones were, I thought about Rocky pretty hard, mm. um, Star Wars, Fargo, The Graduate at a certain time yeah. meant a whole lot to me. The Graduate is so strange at the end, especially that- I love the end. It's interesting. I was thinking about that and like the strangeness of Butch Cassidy actually hmm. earlier today. Speaking of Butch Cassidy, Unforgiven, my favorite Western. Yeah. Uh, the Silence of Lambs, I thought about for a mm -hmm. second. The Wizard of Oz, it was never really going to be on my top five because just personally, yeah. I'm not really the biggest musical fan, <laughs> but I love The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I love the sound of music, actually. Um, Better scenes. than The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I would say so. Mm. I also love The Music Man. Those okay. are movies that I grew up with. You have any uh, honorables you want yeah, to Yeah, some of the honorables. Um, I watched Forrest Gump recently, and I've forgotten how incredible the ending is. Um, it didn't crack my top five, but I actually thought about it. I really thought about putting The Godfather on. There's something about the um, the 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 pure lack of any redemption for any of the characters that kind of kept me from putting it in my top five. But I admire it more than I you know want to go watch it every time with The Godfather. I really I love this. I love Citizen Kane. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. On the waterfront, I think is ooh. Yeah, Marlon Brando in the back of that car, you yeah, know, is, oh, yeah. is amazing. I also one that that you don't hear much about, but I think was a real stunner when I saw it. Similar with what you're saying with the the apartment, how I didn't realize that you could do that in like an older movie is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah, I mean the the tension in that marriage, um, the performances, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, it's it's pretty maybe it's pretty memorable. Maybe part of that too is that those were both movies that were shot in black and white yeah. after color was a yeah. thing. Um, maybe that sort of it, it gets you off your guard because you're expecting something a little bit old fashioned maybe, yeah. and then when it it gives you something much more complicated. Here, uh, here's something else that certainly impacts me, and that is how recently have I seen the movie? Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Because it's been a long time since I saw in, um, The Godfather actually. It's been a while since I saw On the Waterfront. Um, it's been a long time since I saw Schindler's List, which mm -hmm. was also kind of like, hmm. Um, so I think that this list of five, if you ask me in five more years, 
it'll very likely be different. We reserve the is, right to change oh, the order, yeah. to swap out movies. Absolutely. This whole exercise is kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but that's what makes it fun because also, you're, you're backed into a corner where you have to pick, right on. you know, Rocky over Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. And why is one better than the other? We didn't They're really not. talk about that, but, you know, that's yeah. interesting to, to mention. Um, so this would be, we're, we're not, we, we have a few bits of trivia, but if I would love to see other people's top fives, Oh yeah, you know, especially if you use the same rules we did, it has to be a best picture nominee through 1998. So saving private Ryan is an option. 1998. I also thought about that one, but, um, you know, put it, put them on, on, uh, on one of our Facebook p- posts, go to best picture this on Facebook or Twitter and, uh, let us know what your top five is. Yeah. That'd be great. Trivia. Trivia time. Okay, so Brian, since the first Academy Awards ceremony in 1929, there have been 563 nominees and 92 winners, okay? Mm -hmm. Of the 92 films that have won Best Picture, 66 also won Best Director. We were talking about this. Yeah. And How can you be Best Picture when not the Best Director? Yeah, if you have the best art, wouldn't you be the best artist? (laughs) Um, And according to these stats the Academy kind of agrees. Um, but a third of the time, it's not. A third of the time, yeah. So only five films, five, have one Best Picture without receiving a Best Director nod. I can immediately think of a movie that um, I don't know if it's Best Picture quality, but would probably be Best Director that we're going to talk about in a future season. Do you want to know the five films that have won Best Director without receiving yeah, Best I do. Director? Wings, 1927. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that one. Grand Hotel, 1931. Driving Miss Daisy, yeah. Ben Affleck's Argo, and mm. Green Book in 2018. Interesting. Can you guess who's earned the most nominations for Best Picture? Give me a guess. Which director? Yeah. Or it could be a producer, maybe. Steven Spielberg? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right on the money. <laughs> the most Best Picture nominations at 10. Wow. He's only won one for Schindler's List mm-hmm. in 1993. Little known fact, not a little known fact, but a little piece of trivia. Same year, Jurassic Park. He released that. Yeah. Did not get nominated for Best Picture yeah, because you know, it's, it's too fun. It is too fun. Ugh. I was thinking of what if I had to pick my five favorite movie moments of all time when you first see the Brontosauruses. Oh, really? That that's that's a moment for me. I was 14 years old. I had already read the book when I was in like sixth grade or something like that. And seeing the movie, and I was always a huge dinosaur guy, but watching their wonder at the dinosaurs, like that's what movies can do. I think Bring I love life. the T-Rex um, <laughs> unveiling a little more because he waits. Because you love horror. Yeah, I do. I love the but, peaceful, serene wonder yeah, of the like dinosaurs. Yeah, you like the landscape. <laughs> he waits so long to show, because you know, that's the one you're waiting for. You know he's yeah. going to come. And he waits so long to show, then the whole buildup yep. with the with the rattling water. Just like with Jaws, you got to wait. Oh, it's so good. You got to wait on it to see that see it so spielberg had two great movies that year and in 2000 the first episode of our series we're going to talk about traffic directed mm-hmm. by steven soderbergh who also had aaron brockovich yep. nominated for best picture that year which is a crazy feat right it's so, happened 10 times yeah i had this as a trivia for our traffic episode coming up <laughs> okay well, let's do it now <laughs> let's do it now uh i'd have to find it we'll we'll save that but but Gone with the Wind, yeah, and Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz, 1939, same director, Victor Fleming. Wow, that's crazy. Just wow. Yeah, that's a big, big year. Yeah, there are a few other ones, um, but I guess we can save those for traffic. So I just want to get into a little bit of sort of what makes an Oscar. 
Um, I got these from the same business insider. It was a very good article. Yeah. Um, 93% of best picture winners are dramas and only 2% are action or fantasy. Wow. Actors are nine times more likely to receive a nomination for their work in a drama than in any other I mean, in a drama so than cry, any other genre. They get angry. I was they thinking go about to extremes. that. But think about horror movies. We were talking about, you yeah. know, we've talked about sort of characters going to extremes emotionally before. I mean, think about The Shining, the the yeah. extremes that happen in that Shelley movie. Shelley Duvall is amazing in that movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just kind of nuts to me that nine times more likely. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, since 1980, 89% of the Best Picture winners fit into at least five categories either adapted from a famous book based on a true story, period costume drama, historical biography of an important figure, or they feature a character with a disability. Mm. What do you think about that? Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, when you, I think they, one, when, when you're watching a true story, quote unquote, true story, um, sometimes it does make you feel like I'm, I'm doing something important while I'm watching this. Yes. I'm, I'm experiencing history at the same time that I'm watching a movie. So you are talking my language, right? We now. like to be instructed and delighted. Yes. At the same time. You're really talking my language. I, I think that the, the concept or the illusion of a movie illusion being important, is a good word for it. Cause sometimes it's not really, you know, exactly what happened or whatever. No, I, I think that a movie, the concept of a movie being important is the illusion yeah. that if we watch this movie, we're doing something important or we're accomplishing something. I think that that is, Nonsense. That's why I, I look out. I find the best picture nominees. You like lists. <laughs> I do. You I, like to do lists. I do like. You a feel good, good list. when you mark cross things off. I do. <laughs> I've got a few last short things I can just rattle off okay. here. No documentary has ever been nominated for a best picture. Only mm. three animated films have ever been nominated. None have won. Only two comic book or superhero movies have ever been nominated: Black Panther and Joker. None have won. Only two fantasy films have won. That's Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings, The Return of the King, and The Shape of Water. Mm. And no science fiction film has ever won, although 11 have been nominated. Hmm. I think that's all I have. All right. I have a few about the movies that I actually were on my list that I wanted to share. This is the best one. Um, so Amadeus. <laughs> uh, Kenneth Branagh was considered for the role of Mozart, but he was too British. Hmm. They wanted all American cast. Mark Hamill. So Tim Curry played Mozart on Broadway in the, in the play. It was based on a play. Okay. Mark Hamill replaced him. This is in the mm-hmm. early eighties. Wow. And he read as Mozart for when they were doing the auditions for Costanza, who's his wife in the movie. And Milos Forman decided not to cast Mark Hamill as Mozart in the movie because he was too Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and you couldn't watch Mozart and think Luke Skywalker, yeah. it would ruin Mozart. Uh-huh. I thought that was totally fascinating. And it shows you that the real actor behind you know who the person is really does sometimes impact how we see them on the screen. Oh yeah, and that blurring of like you know the reality and and the movie. That's another kind of theme that I I'm always looking at when I see yeah <clears throat> watch these movies. But, Maybe not completely fair, but makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I mm-hmm. mean, it's true. Like, would you see him like laughing like a crazy guy as Mozart and not think a little bit about Star Wars? He laughs like a crazy guy <laughs> when he plays the Joker, but that's yeah in, it's animated, animated, so you don't really um, see him. There are. Five, one, two, three, four, five best picture winners. 
that were never in the weekend box office top five. Mm, okay. Since nineteen eighty two when they started keeping track of that. Amadeus was one. The English patient. The Hurt Locker, which I love. You love it, yep. The Artist, and another one that I love maybe the most of all time, Birdman. Mm. Never made it into the top five. Wow. Okay, a couple of other trivia points. Um, Al Pacino was considered uh, Bernstein in All the President's Men. I could see it. Yeah, I could see that. George C. Scott was considered instead of Jason Robards for Ben Bradley. They were so meticulous um, about recreating the Washington Post's newsroom. Um, they took pictures of everything. They brought in boxes of trash to make it look like it. I thought that was really cool. And kind of again shows, they, they bought 200 desks from the same company that sold the desks to the Washington Post. Oh, really? And bought, you know, rebought them. Um, and a couple of things about Annie Hall. Um, there's a line where Alvy Singer is joking about people as they're walking by and he goes, there's the winner of the Truman Capote lookalike contest. It was actually it's Capote. It's actually Truman Capote. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. Um, I didn't I didn't realize that uh, Sigourney Weaver was his date at the end either. That's, yeah. her, that's her film debut. Um, also, it was originally, there was originally going to be a murder mystery thrown into the middle of Annie Hall, which I did not know. That sounds right. He does a lot of those later <laughs> yeah, he on. Does. Yeah, he likes Which a I think murder mystery. For, for with good effect a lot of times. Yeah. Um, so Would you anyway, say Annie Hall is an important film? I think it is. It's important to me. Uh, it, and that's all that matters, right? Yeah, yeah it's true. We've talked about the um, the length of movies as a factor yeah. determining whether or not it's important or not. I'd have to go through and see which ones were long and which well, ones I'll weren't. I'll tell you, long. 76% of all winners since 1960 have been more than two hours long. Yeah, two under two. Yeah, I think two twenty is the mark. Yeah, if it's, I, if it's I over two twenty, that's kind of like, ooh, this is going to yep. be. I better buckle in. But mm -hmm. still, I mean, nothing. No, no tight one one thirties here. No tight ninety minutes. No, except for the animated. When you throw out three of those, yeah, that's true. Beauty and the more. Beast. Yeah. Oh yeah, Beauty and the Beast up in Toy Story three. I think were the three. I don't know. You don't watch animated, do you? I do. I've, I've watched a lot more yeah. in recent years. Um, <laughs> I like them. I definitely like them, but yeah. I feel like they need to they need to make use of the fact that they're animated. I don't want to watch a movie about people that's just that, a, happens to be a cartoon. I need right. that I need that to do some of the um the fantasy work. You don't like CGI real life animals? Mm, talking mouths and stuff? No, no, not really. <laughs> Although Can, Homeward Bound back in the day. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. It was a good one. So Welcome to Best Picture This. Hopefully you've, uh, if you've made it this far, I mean, you're our, our, our truest fans already. <laughs> um, but uh, let's go out um, in the next episode. We're going to begin our pilot mini series about 1999. We talk about The Sixth Sense, one of the best picture nominees um, that year. It's a blockbuster directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis as the psychiatrist with a new patient, Little Haley Joel Osment, who sees dead people. Thanks to WNZF and Mark Gilliland for producing. We want to hear from you. Would you keep or kick the movies that we're going to be talking about over the next few episodes? Please let us know on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Best Picture This. Also, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else where you get your podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening to Best Picture This. And remember, the greatest movie of all time is Casablanca. <laughs> Kick it!